Amen. You may be seated. Please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 7 to 12 today. And, you know, here we are in the second half of Paul's letter to this church at Ephesus. And we've seen that Paul has moved primarily, moved from primarily instructing uh, the Ephesians to primarily exhorting them to, to live out the faith they profess to believe, that Paul has been essentially saying, you know, the faith that you profess with your mouth, the faith that you claim to believe in your heart, is to be lived out in your life. And he says, therefore I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. And the unity of the Spirit was the focus of, of our sermon last Sunday when we looked at Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. And so in, that, in those verses, Paul writes, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This emphasis on unity, maintain the unity of the Spirit, now, the text we're about to study moves from this unity in the Spirit within the church to the diversity of gifts given by Christ to the church for ministry, for service, for building up the body of Christ. So listen to this quote from John Stott. I think it's a helpful introduction and transition from last week's text to the day. Although there's only one body, one faith, and one family, this unity is not to be misconstrued as a lifeless or colorless uniformity. We're not to imagine that every Christian is an exact replica of every other, as if we had all been mass-produced in some celestial factory. On the contrary, the unity of the church, far from being boringly monotonous, is exciting in its diversity. And this is not just because of our different cultures, temperaments, and personalities, though, which, though true, is not Paul's point here but because of the different gifts which Christ distributes for the enrichment of our common life, the building up of the body of Christ. So our passage today calls us and, and honestly challenges us to, to see that each one of us who is in Christ has been given at least one spiritual gift. And, and I say challenges us because I, I think, here's, here's what I worry, okay? I don't know this to be true, but I worry that many of us don't really believe that. That we, we, we believe, yes, we belong to Christ, we're in Christ, and, and, but, but I worry that if we're honest, we would say, well, Richard, okay, you have gifts, and I know other people who have gifts, but, I'm, but I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that I'm really gifted. But that's not what this text says. We've been given at least one spiritual gift, and this text also challenges us and helps us to see that, that, not all, that our gifts are not all the same. And that's a good thing because all of our gifts are needed. All of our gifts are needed here in this church. And so listen for that. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. I'll begin reading in Ephesians 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, 
What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. It's given to us in love for our good. We're going to look at this passage under four headings. First, we'll see that everyone has a gift, that Christ gives the gifts. Third, there's a focus on the ministry of the word gifts. And then lastly, we'll look at the purpose of the gifts. So let's begin with the fact that the point that everyone has a gift. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So each and every follower of Christ has at least one spiritual gift given to them by the risen and exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Now each and every follower of Jesus has not only received saving grace, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But look at this verse. Every follower of Jesus has also been given grace, grace, a grace gift to use for ministry and service. Graciously given gifts for ministry and service by Christ. That Paul describes these gifts for ministry and service, which Christ gives every one of his followers as gifts of grace. Okay, not, not saving grace, although Christ has purchased that for us, life, death, and resurrection, but, but these are gifts of, of serving grace, grace to serve God and his church through our gifts. But grace was given each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. To all of us, even you, even you who doubts that you have these gifts, even you, dear Christian, have a spiritual gift or gifts given to you by Christ. And look at verse 7 according to his perfect measure, according to Christ's perfect wisdom. Now, there are five or so lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, and each of the lists is different in some ways from others. Therefore, we can trust that that no one list is um, comprehensive, and we can also see that, that not one of us has all of the gifts, and we don't have the same gifts. I mean, consider what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So there are varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. Put simply, our gifts are different. And that's good. That's for our good and for God's glory. And later in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, Paul adds, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You see, verse 11 is very similar to Ephesians 4, 7 in our text. Everyone has a gift. Our gifts are not all the same. Or consider what Paul writes in Romans 12, verses 4 to 6. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and listen to this phrase, 
and individually members of one another. Right? The Spirit unites us to Christ and to one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. See, we all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And that's a wonderful thing. See, it's according to Christ's plan for his church that our gifts are different. And they're all needed. As I said at the beginning, I worry that we don't all believe that. But that's true. The late pastor James Boyce says this, Without the things all Christians share... The common experience of their being joined to Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no church at all. But on the other hand, without a diversity of gifts, the church is not healthy and cannot function completely any more than a body can function completely without arms or legs. So we have this metaphor of the church as a body, needing all of its members, all of its parts, using all of their gifts given to them by God. Another analogy would be that our spiritual gifts are like flowers in a garden. They're from a distance, and to, to a knucklehead like me, they all look the same. But as you look closer, we see that each is unique in some ways. Right? You have a special part to play. You do. You have a role to fill. In Christ's church, in this church, the question is, do you believe that? No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, you have a role to play. You have gifts to, to use, to deploy. I mean, look, look at what verse 7 in our text plainly tells us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So whatever spiritual gift you have, and everyone has at least one, you have because Christ has given it to you. You have that gift because of the wisdom and the kindness and the plan and the pleasure of Christ. Now, we're going to learn a little bit more about some of the various spiritual gifts later in this passage, but here at the beginning, we should all realize that we all have these gifts, and these gifts have been specifically and intentionally given to us by Christ. Therefore, to envy another brother or sister in Christ's gifts is really a form of questioning and doubting the wisdom and goodness of Christ to you. Christ loves you, dear Christian. He loves you dearly. And he has specifically gifted you for service in his church. You see, there are things that, that you can do that others can't do or others won't do. There are things that he's gifted you to do, things that will make your heart sing and will be life-giving to you that others have no interest in doing. And you need to do those. Therefore, rather than wishing we had someone else's gift, we should rightly admire God's work of grace in their life, be grateful for how Christ has gifted them, how he's using them, and we should be all the more eager to, to prayerfully and patiently and diligently develop and grow and mature the spiritual gifts that Christ has been pleased to give to each of us. So everyone has a gift. Now the second heading is, and I've already mentioned this, but I want us to really zoom in on this, is that Christ gives the gifts. 
And we see this in verses 8 to 10. Now, these are somewhat, these are the most difficult verses to understand in our passage, and these are some of the most discussed and debated verses in, in all of the, the book of Ephesians. Okay, so look with me first at verse 8. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And so if you notice, the, looking at this in, in, your, in your Bible, you see how the quote, when he ascended on high and he led a, ca- a host of captives and he gave gifts to men, how that's set apart from, from the earlier. See, Paul's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. And Psalm 68 was written by King David. And if you look in your ESV Bible, the, the heading that our translators give us for uh, Psalm 68 says, God shall shat- scatter his enemies. God shall scatter his enemies. That's because Psalm 68 is a triumphal victory psalm. You see, in the, in the ancient world, after a king won a great victory, he would often bring home the spoils of war and parade through the capital city. Okay, much, much like the parade we hope we have in, you know, in a week or so. We hope we have that parade. But during that parade in the ancient world, the king would often have members of the victory parade you know, tossing some of the gold and silver, the spoils from war, um, to the people as they watched. And after the parade, the, the spoils of war would be shared. Well, Psalm 68 describes God's victory parade. And so rather than turning there, let me just walk you through it real quickly. In Psalm 68, verse 7, God is described as marching in triumph before all Israel after the Exodus. Then in verse 8, when God arrives to Mount Sinai, the earth quakes and shakes under his feet. Then in verses 11 and 14, we read of kings and armies fleeing before the Lord while God's people sleep peacefully. Then in verses 16 and 17, God leaves Mount Sinai and he ascends Mount Zion in Jerusalem with thousands upon thousands in victory. And then we read in Psalm 68, verse 18, that the verse that Paul's quoting in Ephesians 4, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. And notice it says that, that God is said to have received gifts. Now look back to our text in Ephesians 4, verse 8. Paul writes, therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So let's think about this. So Psalm 68, 18 says that God received gifts among men, but then whenever Paul quotes it, he changes received to gave gifts. That's why there's so much discussion about this section of Ephesians 4. So what do we make of this? Is Paul confused? Has he made a mistake? Is he misquoting Psalm 68? Or, or, I mean, is he deliberately mishandling and manipulating Psalm 68? Well, of course, the answer to any such accusation against Paul and the infallibility of Ephesians 4.8 is no, Paul has not made an error in our passage. That Paul is not playing fast and loose with Psalm 68, and he would never do that with any text of Holy Scripture. Okay, so what is Paul doing? Paul quotes Psalm 68 in our Ephesians 4 text because Paul saw the fulfillment of Psalm 68 ultimately in the ascension and exaltation of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, following his victory over his and our enemies, the enemies of Satan, sin, and death itself. 
See, Paul is pointing to the fulfillment of Psalm 68 being ultimately found in Christ's atoning death, his victorious resurrection, and his glorious ascension back to God the Father's right hand in heaven. Okay, so let's think this through. Look with me at verses 8 to 10. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Okay, Christ's descent into the lower regions of the earth refers to Christ leaving his Father's side in heaven to take on human flesh and to dwell among us at the incarnation. Therefore, the lower regions is Paul's way of emphasizing the great distance from heaven to earth. This distance that Christ willingly came to live for us and to suffer and to die for us and to save sinners like us. As we've read in verse 10, after Christ's death and burial, he rose from the grave on that first Easter Sunday, and then he ascended, as the text says, who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Okay, so putting this all together and seeking to understand why Psalm 68 would say that God received gifts and why Paul would change it to Christ gave gifts, In Ephesians 4, we must remember Psalm 68 tells of the conquering and victorious God ascending with treasures or gifts that he's earned, the spoils of his victory. And Paul's point in Ephesians 4 is that the purpose of this was to bestow the spoils, to give the gifts to his people so that Christ might fill all things. And do you know what what some of the very best commentary on this Ephesians 4 passage is? It's Peter's sermon on Pentecost in Acts 2, verses 32 and 33. Peter preached, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You see, the victorious and exalted, risen and ascended Christ poured out and gave the gift of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts for ministry to his church. As Sinclair Ferguson puts it, Pentecost then was the triumph day of Christ. His victory was publicly celebrated by an outpouring of gifts on the citizens in his kingdom and the soldiers in his army. He has conquered and now reigns. And one of the signs of his victory is the widespread distribution of the gifts of his grace. Whereas one commentator put it, the scriptures, speaking of Psalm 68, saw Christ ascent to glory and his giving of his spirit and spiritual gifts to his people ahead of time. And Paul's pointing that out. He's making the connections for us. Now let's think about Christ's ascension just a few mo- for a few moments together. See, because I know here at this church that, that we, we know the finished work of Christ is essential to our salvation. We, we know that. We know that Christ lived for us and died for us and rose from the grave for us. But I fear that we don't understand the significance of Christ's continuing work as our ascended high priest for us. Now, Christ did cry, it is finished, as he hung on the cross there in John 19. And that signaled the completion of his sin-bearing, sin-atoning death. It did not mean that Christ's work as Lord and Savior was over. 
that our risen Lord Jesus continues to be our great high priest at the right hand of God in heaven. And praise God that he does. And he continues to be our unwavering and unfailing intercessor for you, for me, and praise God that he does. And he continues to protect us from all our enemies. And praise God that he does. And he continues to bless us with all the blessings of his grace. So in summary, Ian Hamilton says, Christ's ascension not only sealed the triumph of his once-for-all work of atonement, but signaled the beginning of his present reign as the king-priest who unfailingly watches over, cares for, and defends his people. He fills all things, that is, he reigns and rules over all things, and as the cosmically, easy for me to say, uh, regnant Jesus Christ gives grace gifts to his church. Everyone has a gift, and Christ gives the gifts. Then we see in verse 11 that Paul now focuses on the, the ministry of the word gifts that are given to the church. Notice in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now these are not all the gifts he gave. I've already said there's, there, there are five or so lists throughout the New Testament. But now, notice that, that now Paul immediately goes to, he immediately goes to these word of ministry gifts, which are so needed for the church to rightly order and to rightly use all of the other spiritual gifts that Christ has given to each and every one of his people. So you look at verse 11, these gifts can also be called offices or callings. Even before we get into this, notice that some were only given to the early church to lay the foundation on which the New Testament church was built, while others continue to this day. But don't miss all of these gifts and callings, and offices, in verse 11, are ministry of the word gifts given by the risen and exalted Lord Jesus Christ to his church. Okay, so keep that in mind. So first, there are the apostles. The apostles were those men who were personally called by Jesus, discipled by Jesus, and were personal eyewitnesses to his resurrection. The apostles were the 12, Paul, and a few others with that official office title of apostle. Therefore, there are no apostles today. Now, I, I, I point that out to you, okay, because this past week, um, I was with Axel at a pastor's appreciation luncheon, and we all had to write na uh, our names on our name tag, and, and so Axel was sweet. He did mine for me so people could actually read it, and, you know, mine just said Richard. His just said Axel, and as, as it was supposed to, and as I was walking um, to, to go uh, get something to drink, I noticed um, your dear brother who was at that meeting, and his name tag had his name. I can't remember what his name was because I was really drawn. We'll call him John Smith. But what I was drawn to was the title of, before his name. He announced to us he was the Apostle John Smith. Now, that sweet man was not personally discipled by Jesus, and that sweet man is not a witness to his resurrection. No matter what he calls himself, no matter what his church calls him, that man's not an apostle. The apostles were used by God to lay the foundation on which the New Testament church was to be built. Because the apostles were used by God to give us the New Testament. The office of apostle was a once for all time in the founding of the New Testament church only. And praise God, those apostles have left us 
the New Testament. Now looking again at verse 11, and he gave the apostles and the prophets. Now these prophets are not the Old Testament prophets, these are New Testament prophets. And they're related to the apostles. Their, their ministry stood alongside of and completed the ministry of the apostles. That ministry to, to reveal God's word and his will and his purposes to the church. And like the apostles, these prophets were only needed for a brief temporary season of the early New Testament church. Before the New Testament was written. Once the New Testament was written, there was no longer a need for the office of prophet in the church. And this becomes very clear if you pay attention to the, the Paul's pastoral letters. You look at First and Second Timothy and Titus, these, these letters where Paul gives really clear, detailed instructions for the ordering of leadership and offices in the church. Paul gives no instructions for the calling and the ordaining and the installing of new apostles and new prophets, which seemed to even at that point had already fulfilled their purpose and that office had already passed away rather do you know what offices and callings the apostle paul tells timothy and titus to focus on pastors and elders and deacons you see the office of new testament prophet was once for all time in the founding of the new testament church only and praise god that they and the apostles have left us the new testament then we read again in verse 11 and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the evangelist. Now, all Christians are called to the privilege and task of evangelism, telling our friends and family and neighbors of the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection. However, this is not a general calling to the task of evangelism. That's not what Paul has in mind here. This is the calling of an evangelist, that noun evangelist. And, that, and the noun evangelist only appears in three places in the New Testament. It shows up here in Ephesians 4, verse 11. And we also see it in Acts 21, verse 8, where we read, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Then Paul uses this noun evangelist at the end of uh, one of his last letters. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, he says to Timothy, As for you... Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Okay, so what do we make of this? Well, the calling or the office of evangelist appear to be those who are especially gifted to spread the gospel to new places. I think today that, that means that evangelists would be our, our missionaries, our church planters. They're called and gifted with the essential task of advancing the gospel locally and around the world, taking it to, to where it has not been preached, going and establishing new churches where there are not existing churches. As Charles Spurgeon put it, these evangelists are they who preach the gospel in diverse places and find it the power of God unto salvation. They are founders of churches, breakers of new soil, men of a missionary spirit who build not on other men's foundations, but dig out for themselves I scarcely know of any greater blessing to the church than the sending forth of earnest, indefatigable, anointed men of God, taught of the Lord to be winners of souls. And praise God for these evangelists who advanced the gospel. And then we read in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, 
the shepherds and teachers. And now the Greek text seems to indicate that we are to join those last two uh, callings or gifts together. That, that there's this calling or this gifting of, as a, of a shepherd teacher or as a pastor teacher. I think this is very instructive for us as we think about a pastor's job description and what it ought to be. That a pastor ought to be a, a pastor teacher, a, a shepherd teacher. One who, who tends and watches and leads and feeds the flock of Christ with the food of the word of God. Right? And, and every time we look to add a new pastor to our church staff, we're looking for shepherd teachers. Shepherd teachers to, to tend the flock and to feed the flock uh, the word of God and all of their various ministry duties. You know, as, as, as a pastor, I wear many different hats. I have many different roles that I, that I have to, to fill and duties I have to do. But my primary calling is to preach God's word. That doesn't matter how well I do all of those other duties. If I fail at that task, I fail in my calling. This calling as a shepherd teacher, as a pastor teacher. That you are God's flock. And you are not best fed on anything else besides the word of God. That you are God's flock. You are not best fed on funny stories. You're not best fed on little snippets from from my family life. That, That you are best fed on God's word. You need to feast on God's word. You know, those funny stories and those illustrations, they're to be used to to illustrate, to illumine God's word, to to make it clear, to to shine the light on the feast of God's word. Right? This church, every church, needs the word of God more than anything else. This is why these gifts given by Christ to his church are highlighted in Ephesians 4, verse 11. See, it's only through the advance of the gospel and the faithful preaching of God's word that God's people will be equipped for every good work. You see, this is the way that Christ fills all things in and by himself. By the preaching of the authoritative and sufficient word of God to the people of God. Think about what what Paul says towards the end of 2 Timothy. One of his last letters, one of the last things that he'll say to this, his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. Think about what he says, beginning in, verse th- in chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He says that about the word of God, and in the very next verse he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ... Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So think about that for a moment. Think about how much we need God's word and for it to be preached to us faithfully. See, it's only the faithful preaching of God's word that will equip God's people for every good work. See, it's only the faithful, preaching of God, the faithful preaching of God's word is needed if we're going to see sinners saved. Think about what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but, of, the, but of, of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The faithful preaching of the word is needed for Christian growth and maturity and sanctification. Think about what Jesus prayed to the Father in the high priestly prayer 
on the night before the cross, in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. You see, everyone has a gift, and Christ gives the gifts, and he especially gave the ministry of the word gifts to his church. Now, look, the last heading is the purpose of our gifts. Okay, so after he focuses in on the, the, the ministry of the word gifts, look what he says in verse 12. These gifts have been given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay, I think it's helpful to kind of work through this backwards, so look at it. The purpose of our gifts given to us by Christ is for the building up of the body of Christ. How does that happen? It happens as the saints who have all been given spiritual gifts for ministry by the risen exalted Christ are equipped for the work of ministry. How does that happen? It happens as the shepherds, the pastors, the shepherd teachers, the the pastor teachers teach and preach the word of God faithfully week after week after week. So look, look at verse 12. Why has Christ given the church pastors? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That verb translated to equip was used in Matthew 4, when James and John are mending their nets. They're equipping their nets. They're mending, they're fixing their nets, repairing their nets to make them fit for service. The word was also used as a medical term for repairing broken bones. So do you understand what Paul's saying here? That we need, you need the word of God faithfully preached from this pulpit Sunday after Sunday so that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will use the word of God to bring about the healing and the cleansing and the transforming and the maturing work in our sinful, broken, immature lives. The result being that we all use our gifts for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ in this place. You see, no, no one should think, no matter how gifted they are no one should think that they can use their gifts faithfully for very long apart from sitting under the faithful preaching of god's word week after week after week you see that the local church is supposed to so prioritize the faithful preaching and teaching of the word that all the members of the church are equipped as they grow and mature in christ likeness and are made fit for service made fit equipped for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. So, a couple of illustrations to help make this clear, okay? That the church is, is never meant to be this, this pyramid. This pyramid, okay, with the pastor on top just speaking down to the congregation as they listen and are entertained. And the church is not supposed to be like a bus where the pastor and the staff drive and everyone else lounges in the back and maybe even takes a nap. They know that the church, although if I, were, if I were driving, you can't take a nap. I go a little too fast. And we, okay, but no friends. See, the church is to be more like an orchestra where all the members read their music and they play their parts and they use their gifts and they serve and they contribute to the building up of the body of Christ. The church is to be like a football team where every player 
right? From the left guard to the tight end to the quarterback, everybody has a role. Everybody has a responsibility. Everybody's supposed to be running the same play, but they all have different things, to, different functions to serve and contribute to the building up of the body of Christ. So what is your role in our church? What are your gifts? Did you hear question four that I asked the new members earlier? Membership vow four is, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Now that includes giving of your treasure, but also giving of your time, giving of your talent, using your gifts. You know, what are your gifts? You think, Richard, what? I, you know, I know I took a spiritual gifts test at some point, but I can't remember what it said. Well, that's okay. I mean, we can give you another test, but, but there's also just simple ways that you can think about your spiritual gifts, like where do you have a passion to serve? What do you have a burden to do? What needs do you see in our church? You know, what do you find joy in doing for others? What opportunities stand out around you? What things are you best at and have success doing? You know, what have the godly and wise people in your life commended you for doing? What acts of service have given you the deepest sense of satisfaction and joy? Think about these questions. Now, and, and if you think, Richard, well, that's, they, they still, that doesn't help me any. Where should I serve? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Just pick an area and begin to serve. Pick an area, begin to serve, and then you can begin to evaluate your spiritual giftedness in that area. We've got so many areas of service in our church. There's so many of them. There's a table outside this, these doors on Main Street. Okay, in God's providence today, the diaconate will be out there. And you can volunteer to serve as an usher, as a greeter, on the safety team. Volunt sign up for our meals ministry. Volunteer with Grief Share, with Stephen's ministry, with ESL. Sing in the choir. There's women's ministry and women's Bible study. There's children's ministry, there's student ministry, and the list goes on and on. Where is your gift? Where do you see a need that you can fill? Let me, let me share this quote in conclusion. I think, I think it's very helpful and pastoral and ties things together well. The Bible presents us with a simple and profound model for building the church. The pastor is to teach God's word faithfully. That word will equip the saints, and as they minister in Christ's power with all the variety of their spiritual gifts, our Lord Jesus will build his church. And when every mere human and worldly glory has passed away, long after all our earthly trophies have crumbled into dust, Jesus Christ will be there to say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given grace to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ has given us these gifts. Lord, help us to discover them and to develop them and to deploy them in service of others and of you here in this church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.